Welcome back to Gateways, a podcast about the people, places, and possibilities of our regional cities. I'm Ben Foreman, Director of the Gateway Cities Innovation Institute at MassSake. With schools wrapping up for the year, today we're going to talk about education during the pandemic and what we can learn from the last few months to prepare for next fall. Later in the show, I'll speak with guests from City Connects, a program that helps Gateway City schools provide social-emotional support to students. Research shows this model can help students succeed during normal times, but these services are especially critical given everything Gateway City students are going through during the current crisis. To begin the episode, we're going to start with a check-in on early college in Salem. We've talked about early college on the podcast a couple of times over the past year, but things certainly changed for early college students with the pandemic. I'm joined by two guests, Michelle Pierce, the Associate Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Salem State University and Program Coordinator for Early College. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thanks, Ben. And Warren Pimentel, a recent Salem High grad who's an early college student. He completed 12 credits while a a high school student at Salem High, and he's going to matriculate to Salem State for business in the fall. Hi, Warren. Hey, Pimentel here. Thanks for uh, taking a beautiful summer day and one of your first out of school to talk with us on Gateways about your experience as an early college high school student. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> um, so let's let's just start like from the very beginning, Warren. Why did why did you want to do early college? How did you hear about it, and how did it seem at first as the idea of being a high school student, a college student, all at once? Uh, I remember I was a sophomore. And I know they had like flyers everywhere. Teachers were letting all sophomores know, oh, there's this early college program, should do it and everything. You know, they're telling mainly the, the sophomores uh, because it was a junior and senior program. Uh, and then they t- told us about the benefits. I'm like, wow, this, you know, the benefits seem really nice, you know, like having 12 credits, uh, stuff, you know, saving a lot of money, also like getting like the, that experience. I found the experience like very worthwhile since, you know, like I was afraid of like how it was going to be and that sort of thing. Sure. So, um, so your junior year, was that when you took your first college class? Yes, it was. Was it a struggle or how did you find the, the work compared to your high school classes? Uh, it was very similar to an AP course, advanced placement, but it was different at the same time since like they, they treated it like a college class since it was. And yeah, it was just very similar, and so like it didn't seem like too difficult. I mean, there there were some struggles, but it's, like it was it was doable, and like I became like accustomed to the workload, and everything. Great. In uh, your senior year, do you had two college classes? Uh, I know we had two college classes uh, per year, so two junior, two senior. However, the big difference between those was that in junior year the two classes would take place. Uh, in the high school and senior year the seniors would go on Salem State campus to take those classes and was there a big difference having the class at at the campus versus at the high school Uh, I'd say so uh, just because in in the high school we already know uh, the school very well and everything's in and in junior year uh, it'd be the professor from Salem State and a teacher from Salem High School and so there'd be somebody we knew or that we heard of uh, and then over in SSU campus, it just only be the professor. And so we have to try and like get some professor, get used to the rules, especially when it comes to work and everything. Got you. All right. We'll come to that in a minute, but let me just go over to Michelle now. I think, is this the first year you've had students on campus at 
Yes, this was our first year with a senior cohort. That's right. Yeah. So I remember when we talked with the students last year, they hadn't yet been over to camp. So how was that a big adjustment for the program or a big step? To take? Uh, it was exciting and we learned a lot of lessons, I would say, also during the year about, you know, things that we'll tweak for next year. Um, believe it or not, just bus transportation, um, you know, is, is something to think about and, you know, making sure that students know where to go uh, when they get to campus. Um, you know, doing a little trial run. I went with them the first couple times to their locations, um, making sure everybody gets back on the bus transportation, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, let's get to, to, the, to the real heart of the conversation here. Nobody planned for this year to be interrupted. You must have been halfway through your semester, Warren, when you guys went to remote learning. So, so did you did you guys have the technology to do that? What happened? Did you did everybody have to find ways to work from home and stay connected? Uh, so, uh, Salem State has a online platform for learning called Canvas, and uh, we used uh, that for all the assignments. And I know we were using that in class, either way for uh, homework, and then we used on that the whole time for both homework and classwork when it became remote learning. And so, so we, were, we were already uh, accustomed to the program. And so we knew what to do when it became remote learning. Yeah. Michelle, I, you know, we've been looking at some survey results that we just collected of parents of high school students in Massachusetts. Well, not just high school students, but all K through 12 students, but it's the high school student parents who really stand out as having had the most challenging time. As, as someone who's there to support all the students in the program, what has that been like? So I would say that we were very lucky in a couple of respects. One is that Salem High had started this past year a one-to-one -one program so that all students have a Chromebook. Uh, that was a godsend, as you can imagine, in this situation. And we didn't even know that the pandemic was, was coming. Uh, that had started, and we, they were also very good about um, connecting with students' families, um, you know, if there was any trouble with internet access, because uh, that can also be an issue. And as Warren said, we were also fortunate that we had had our students intentionally using an online learning management system from the beginning of their early college experience, because we know that it's a huge part when you actually get onto campus, a lot of assignments and coursework, even if it's not an online course, things are submitted that way and there are discussion boards and so forth. So I, I think uh, the Chromebooks and the fact that they already used Canvas uh, was helpful for sure. And the professors we had, fortunately, as Warren said, were very responsive and uh, flexible and attentive. I will say that we had a few students due to, I would say, outside circumstances involving COVID and the pandemic. Uh, we had a few students who uh, decided to not complete the course, very good students, but who had um, illness in their family, in some cases were the sole supporters of their family uh, with work. Uh, during this time and for their, you know, mental health and, uh, and sanity, we, we uh, encourage them not to feel bad about 
you know, taking a break uh, from the course. Yeah, no, no, certainly. I think uh, one thing that we definitely have seen in all our polling data is um, how common it is for students in gateway cities to have had the illness uh, in right. their in their families, in their households, and, and how, how challenging and traumatic that can be. So Definitely. Warren, as your fellow students, I, I'm sure it must be a bonding experience to have gone through, through this together. What do you think it's going to be like for the class of 2020 as they move out into the world? Uh, I will say this will be a very memorable time for us just because uh, I know... I know at one point somebody did post who would have known that the day that they had to evacuate us due to COVID would be the last time we'd be in class, the last time we'd see our friends, last time we sat in our in our seats in that one class. Uh, you know, and a lot of us, you know, we, we, we really do miss uh, seeing each other, hanging out with each other. Well, I mean, uh, there's a lot to be hopeful for. You're going to be a, a college student now studying business. Good luck to you guys. Before we go, Michelle, is there anything else you'd like to say about early college? I think I'd just like to reiterate uh, the importance of early college in getting students connected with college professors and with the, sometimes we call it the business of being a student. Um, I think that's one way that it's different from AP courses in that, you know, you're functioning within the university structure with the learning management system, for example, with, you know, how grades are reported, um, how to access grades, you know, working with a professor, what to call your professor, all those, what a syllabus looks like, uh, that sort of thing. So um, I think it's really important for students to get that, uh, that exposure and experience whenever possible. And I'll also say we're very excited that Salem State just received word that we um, have official designation just as of this month uh, with Lynn Public Schools also. So that was very good news. So um, Salem and Lynn, we're excited. That's great. Michelle, Warren, we really appreciate your time. Um, It's great to hear about the growth of, of your program and the success of your students at this really difficult moment. When the arrival of COVID-19 sent students home, they, along with teachers and parents, suddenly faced an entirely new and different approach to school. Students and communities less equipped for remote learning and teaching were at an even greater disadvantage, particularly in districts where teachers and school staff provide students with a variety of different forms of support beyond academic instruction. My guests today are working on proactive solutions of how we provide those supports in a time of pandemic. I'm joined by Joan Wasser Gish, from the Center for Optimized Student Supports at Boston College. And you helped me round up your colleagues for this really important conversation that we're gonna have today. So do you wanna introduce them? Sure, I would love to. So I'm here today with Ellen Wingard from Salem and Stephanie Sanabria from Springfield, and I'd love for them to introduce themselves. Sure, thanks, Ben, for having us. I'm Ellen Wingard. I'm the Director for Student Family Support in Salem Public Schools. Um, And a large part of my role is overseeing and uh, being the program manager for our City Connects program, student support program in Salem, which is spread throughout the district in all of our pre-K to eight schools. 
And I am Stephanie Sanabria, and I am a City Connects coordinator in the Springfield Public Schools. I, in particular, work in a um, early childhood setting. I have previously worked in elementary and middle school, so I do have a wide range of experience. Um, but I have been with Springfield and their City Connects model since we started in 2011. Well, great. I think a lot of folks have probably heard about City Connects and the really important work they do at this point. Um, providing supports to all students in a, a lot of our Gateway City School Districts. But Joan, do you want to just give a little more background on the model? Sure. So City Connects is really going beyond wraparound because it's really creating a system of comprehensive supports that's embedded into the daily functioning and rhythm of schools. We know that effective approaches to integrating comprehensive supports, which are reflected in the City Connects model, really reflect, number one, that they're customized. They're providing a tailored set of resources and relationships and opportunities for each and every student. They're comprehensive because they approach all domains of child development, academic, social, emotional, behavioral, physical health and well-being, and family. They're coordinated across school, family, and community and continuous or systematic so that support is not just a matter of luck or having that one phenomenal teacher, but is a regular part of how schools engage with children and families. So in the City Connects model, there is a full-time school social worker or school counselor who, in addition to doing a lot of typical school counselor and school social worker type stuff, is engaging in a core practice that you'll hear more about from Stephanie and Ellen. Yeah, and I think Stephanie and Ellen, we, you know, we, when we thought about how do we do an episode that looks at the experience students and families are having in this really traumatic time, uh, and especially when our Gateway City School students and families have really borne the brunt both of the epidemic from a public health standpoint, but also from an economic emergency. Uh, it, it seemed like folks who are in this practice of supporting families uh, would be the best to reach out to and hear how it's gone and what the needs are. So please share. Yeah, I think um, in Salem, I think if you interviewed principals right now, they would tell you they wouldn't have known what to do in their first few weeks of closures um, if they didn't have their City Connects coordinators at their, at their virtual side to help them pivot and use the student support system that we had in the, within the buildings to a virtual world. So, you know, it, um, we really were, we had the benefit of having a system that started with students first um, to think about, all right, what do all of our kids need universally? And then how do we know who needs additional supports right away so we could respond? If we didn't have City Connects in place, we'd be scrambling even more than people already feel like they're scrambling in schools. You know, we're constantly pivoting, we're constantly planning for something we're not quite sure is going to be there next week. Um, and so having, having, having a, a system anchored in students first said, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that our, our neediest kids are taken care of and that all kids are taken care of. Yeah, and Stephanie, you work in a district where there's enormous need in good times. Yes, I um, I was nodding a lot as Ellen spoke because I, being one of the coordinators, I have been able to see firsthand the way in which um, 
the first two weeks were for me personally and my team and um, not knowing what, how to go about um, supporting our families. And then once we did kind of mobilize how we went about it, um, I think having the, the City Connects model where we have this, um, this tiering system, we review every child in the fall. So we have, you know, insight as to who our children are, who our families are. And so we have a tiering system. And I think a lot of the coordinators approached it. Let's help our um, tier 2B and our tier 3 students who are in most need um, first. And then we'll reach, we'll reach out to everyone regardless. Um, but utilizing maybe our teachers for more of the tier 1 and tier 2 support. And then we would take the other part of tier 2 and tier 3 to, to help supporting our families. And in terms of like your Rolodex of resources that you connect families to, have have they been there or have, have you had to kind of reinvent what you can offer families from scratch? Well, we have gotten very creative, I have to say, um, but our resources have been there and then even more, I, I would say, have, have shown up. I know a lot of my coordinators um, have reflected on this time and they've told me that they are deepening re relationships with mental health agencies, especially as we are ensuring that our families who are already receiving some sort of therapy are continuing that therapy through telehealth or you know phone sessions. Um, and so other resources have popped up though within the community and it's amazing to see how community partnerships can form during such a intense time. I actually just got off the phone with someone who worked for a long time on telehealth policy, and they were talking about how for behavioral health, especially the no-shows have declined dramatically. And I, I'm sure you guys are in the business of making sure people are able to get to those appointments and they probably face a lot of barriers. When phone calls and video calls are made directly to your home, it's a little harder to um, not show up for an appointment. You know, there are fewer barriers. You have no transportation that gets in your way. You have, you know, maybe you might have other conflicts in terms of internet, but that is another resource that we have mobilized to help support our families and um, getting those hotspots available for families who need it or families who live in shelters, especially. Yeah. Beyond mental health, Ellen, what are the other needs that families are coming to in the Salem Public Schools that you're helping to fill? Um, because City Connects is in all of our um, pre-K to eight schools and that it really is a, a unified community approach. The city, city of Salem and the leadership has, um, you know, sort of a symbiotic relationship. We're able to really see trends as time goes on, um, both initially and then once we got into the closures and now as we're sort of ending the virtual school year. Um, you know, first I would say uh, some of the needs was really just around helping people to, uh, understand and explain and talk about their sense of panic about what's going on. And, and, and that panic came in the form of making sure that everybody had food, obviously the basics, food, shelter, um, the, the necessary mental health supports for kids who were really struggling with mental health issues prior to the closures. Um, over time, we've certainly seen families um, increase their need around rental support, housing, um, you know, our, our employment rate has been tricky, right? So we know one in four, about one in four of our community members doesn't have a job right now. And that impacts people's ability to pay not just rent, but utilities and phone and internet and all the things that right now are essential. 
And then there's comes the, the trend around like kids and families just being really tired of being online and learning online. That's a really big lift for families that then we can deploy our support staff, our City Connects coordinators to try and help families through that, whether it's being able to talk about it, help them schedule kids for the learning, sort of being the virtual whiteboard to do that for families. Um, we've seen those trends um, really increase as the, as the closures have increased. And then now we're just trying to figure out what to do in per for, for summer. I hear you. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And I'm going to come back to Joan as well. But uh, before I do, I just want to ask you about the virus itself. I mean, we just saw some data that showed that something like almost a third of people who are very low income have either had the virus themselves or had a family member that's had it. Have you had to, to provide supports for, for parents who have been sick? And I mean, I know we have a lot of single parents and who are very fearful that if they get sick, who's going to take care of their children and so forth. In Salem, families would, would identify to the coordinators that someone was sick, which didn't just mean that somebody was sick, it also meant the whole family had to quarantine. And so for, for families who um, went into the closures with food instability, it meant that those breakfast and pickup sites that all of the public schools were able to, you know, our public schools were able to provide, Nobody could go out and get the food because that would, they were in quarantine. So um, we were able to connect those families with some um, volunteer delivery services for food. Um, but yeah, I think, I think either having a family member sick and unable to care for younger children or um, working in essential um, healthcare and younger and their children, you know, needing to be home by themselves, you know, age appropriately. So we certainly have seen families impacted by the, by the virus. I think, you know, one of the questions we've all had is, you know, how many people are, are disconnected and just not being served and um, you know, not participating in school at the moment. And what do we do about that in the future? I, I think what's always been really interesting to me about City Connects is the scale of the model and how much data it actually produces to tell us about where all our students are and their different needs and the ability of communities to meet different needs. Joan, I'm, as you guys look at sort of bigger patterns in the data, are there things that are coming out to you that policymakers in particular should be thinking about as we plan for the future? Well, I think one thing that's really clear is how quickly families' needs and circumstances are evolving. This is a really dynamic situation. Families that were stable one week might suddenly be facing a job loss or housing instability or illness. And so having capacity in place, having this sort of focus on universal comprehensive review for not only the students who might already be identified as tier three, but for all students, is a really critical starting point. I think Stephanie talked about in sort of this practice of reviewing every student in the fall and making connections with families, sort of having that information in hand and a core practice that enables this kind of more systematic outreach, I think is really proving to be critical. We are not yet at a point where we can really make sort of conclusive statements around data, but what we know for sure because City Connects has been on the ground serving communities like the Gateway Cities for 20 years now. We've been able to have peer-reviewed research that really looks at the impact of this type of approach. And what we know for certain is that it is transformative. 
we know that when kids get this kind of support, there's better effort, there's better grades, there's better attendance. We see improvements in school climate, improvements in how teachers report they are empathizing with their students and the student-teacher relationship, it's informing instruction. And over time, we know that students who get this kind of support are performing substantially better academically. They're narrowing achievement gap, they're less likely to drop out. They're also more likely to enroll and complete in post-secondary. And so the work that Stephanie and Ellen are describing really has transformative potential for the children whom they're supporting. And it feels like in this moment when the disruption caused by COVID is making inequities so palpable and is lifting the lid on how critical family circumstances really are to children's readiness to engage in learning and to ultimately gain skills and thrive and have choices in life, this kind of work is something that's going to become probably more and more important. And in the future, I think turning to that now, I, I know if you looked at the Student Opportunity Act plans that districts were putting together before this crisis hit, they were all planning on spending a very significant chunk of that additional state aid on social workers and other forms of social emotional support, because I think the urban districts appreciate the contribution um, of, of this kind of model to student learning. And now it seems like those funds aren't going to be available when we need them most. I think, you know, when you think about the trauma that students have endured, what may be coming as families face a wave of evictions, um, you know, how are schools going to handle that if they're not up social workers, your teams are actually down in terms of headcount? I hate, I hate to be bleak, but... It's a really important question. And I think this moment is really emphasizing how critical student support is to the core functioning and purpose of schools. We know that kids' academic learning is impacted far and away by out-of-school factors more so than in-school factors. And so as we think about making hard choices around school budgets and school staffing, the critical role that student support folks play, like Stephanie, is it, it, you can't quantify it. it. It really is a prerequisite to kids being ready to learn and be successful in school. Yeah. Well, I'm planning for next year, guys. Are, are, how are you doing it? Sorry. I just wanted to add one thing was that actually in Springfield, I feel like uh, every single year we've actually continued to grow and expand. Uh, when I first started in 2011 in the district, there were maybe eight or nine of us. And now we're at 27, I want to say. And I think next year we'll be at 36 coordinators. So thankfully the district of Springfield has been able to continue to grow. So having more supports for our students, especially during this time, is being seen as a priority. Um, so I do want to highlight that as a positive for the future. Yeah, no, I think I actually remember Superintendent Warwick talking about how difficult it was going to be to sustain City Connects when some of the, I think it might have been race to the top money that initially supported it or, or school turnaround funds. But they've obviously made sacrifices in order to keep and grow the program. I think one of the things that school districts have, have had to do and will continue to have to do is be really innovative. And so when you look at the City Connects model, 
It is, you know, the gold standard for innovative, comprehensive, coordinated student support. So, so think if I was a superintendent thinking about that, I would, I would be prioritizing the innovative ways that we are um, providing services to, to students. I would look at that through technology. I would look at that through student support. I would look at that through excellent teaching practices um, and then put the resources towards that. I think there's other things that are not so innovative anymore in our schools that we'll, we'll need to take a look at and, and, and shift. We have to take what we have and do something with it. Yeah. Well, lastly, I just do want to ask you about that, the technology you mentioned, Ellen. How, how, how helpful has the technology been in, in terms of building and maintaining your relationships with students and parents? Is, is cell phones good enough or does it really help to have a Zoom chat? It's our, it's our biggest gift and biggest challenge, for sure. And I think we have to, we have to monitor that very closely, starting with our families. Um, you know, when we ask families to be the teacher, and I don't, I don't mean instructor, but the, the person who sets up the scene for a student's education in the home. Um, we, we've got to think about what that, those families need. So yes, you know, we have been able to include families into conversations we haven't had before, to Stephanie's point around having uh, accessibility to telehealth has improved some mental health supports. And yet I also know our students are incredibly tired and our families are very tired of being in Zoom rooms all the, all ta- all the day. Stephanie, Springfield is, is as good as it gets when it comes to one-to-one devices. And as a district, you've been working on technology for a long time, right? Yes, I've definitely seen an improvement um, over the years. And um, it did take a while for the computers to go out there to all the students. But um, my coordinator's report on my team is that a lot of them have been assisting with getting families connected. And I know I personally will call on behalf of a teacher if they have not been able to successfully reach a student to ensure that they are connected, to get them participating. So we support in the academic sense as well. Um, and a lot of uh, coordinators have gotten really creative with having their group counseling lessons online and just a weekly check-in with the school counselor and the City Connects coordinator. And you know, I, I think when Ellen mentioned like the innovative approach, we've gotten very um, creative in the ways that we are finding ways to access and support our families during this time. So I think moving forward with uh, what Springfield is looking at is a mixed model approach. I mean, they're gonna come out with more details soon, but having some remote learning and having some in-school learning is going to be um, another way to challenge us to be even more creative in servicing our families. so we'll see what happens when that time comes. But we are trying to prepare in the meantime. The other way that technology plays a critical role is in supporting the execution of this kind of a system. So if there's a central repository for information, there's a centralized way of understanding what the resources are in both inside the schools and also across the surrounding community. In addition to working with City Connects, We also have something called the Systemic Student Support Academy, which is done in partnership with the Rennie Center for Education Research and Policy and the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. We currently have 15 districts that are participating, including some of the gateway districts and about 50 school teams. And they are all working on creating their own implementation plans to take their existing student support personnel, programs, data, processes, and to transform them to be more consistent with best practices in order to create this kind of comprehensive systemic approach to student support. And we're hopeful that um, 
you know, even as we're entering a climate where budgets are going to be tighter, that the kinds of innovation and understanding that emanate from an approach like City Connects will really help reshape the way that we think about student support across the Commonwealth and across the country. Great. Well, thank you, Jones, Ellen, Stephanie. We really appreciate all the work you do and your willingness to take some time this afternoon to share with us. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us, Ben. Well, that's all the time we have for today's episode of Gateways. I'm Ben Foreman. Gateways is produced by Libby Gormley. Music by Worcester's own, the Curtis Mayflower. Thank you to our sponsors. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, Eastern Bank, Enterprise Bank, and the Barr Foundation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.